Alright, hello and welcome to Post-Pandemic Programming, Episode 5, The Culture of Consumption. I'm here with Keith Jopling and David Freer, here to bring us some insight from uh, as their positions as Consulting Director of Media and Co-Founder of O Street, who we've worked alongside before and specialize in, from what I can tell, beer and music, which really go hand in hand. So, hi guys. Hello. Hey. Good to have you on board. Uh, 2020 has been pretty undeniably a weird year for people and businesses alike. Uh, Pandemic, lockdown, recession, changes seem pretty earth-shattering as we move into the new normal. Uh, But let's just take a step back for a moment. This has all happened really fast, but change isn't always a bad thing. So let's backtrack. Uh, And Keith, let's start with you. What do you see as some of the issues with the way things were back at the end of 2019 before we even knew about the coronavirus? Things might have been more broken than we thought, uh, and I think well, once we have a chance to reflect on that, that's that's what you see more clearly. So, this has become a really big theme in a whole bunch of businesses. So, if we talk about the sectors that we work in, uh, or the sectors that have been like really heavily affected, um, thinking about uh, cinema, live music, for example, and um, and then even the workplace. So just going through those really quickly, cinema, I've just been reading a lot about what those working in the business really think. And there was a feeling that it was already at breaking point. Because if you run a cinema chain, as everybody knows, you know, you, you, you pay so much for the content, you have to make the money on the, the, the popcorn and the Coke and, and making sure that your seats are almost full. And meanwhile, the studios have just been making more and more blockbuster franchises and 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 the whole thing just felt like this balloon that was just being pumped up full ready to burst and then you get the pandemic and yeah the pandemic pops the balloon so what we found is that obviously cinemas have had to close but as they reopen they can't reopen because they haven't got the blockbusters because the studios don't want to release the blockbusters into a, a theatrical window where there is no bums on seats and if the theaters do open, um, you know, how are they going to make money on popcorn and Coke when they've only got half, half the seats full or whatever? So it's, it, you know, you, when I read about cinema and the people working in it, they feel like it was already strained to, to the limit. But there's some good things to come out the other end of it, but I mean, particularly um, the fact that there are no blockbusters, so it's a chance for indie films to release. Mm-hmm. Actually, just as we say this, sort of number two, I just checked actually on the BFI UK box office and number two is this film Saint Maud, uh, which is only just behind Tenet, and it's a wholly independent film, which probably would have never have been two in the box office, um, you know, in sort of normal times. I just quickly move on to live music because obviously we do a lot of work in in that space, and that's been absolutely slammed um, by the pandemic. Now you could say the same thing. So, you know, live music was dominated by big promoters. Um, not saying that's a bad thing, but those promoters were making making their profits from these huge festivals and huge venues tours. And actually, I think reflecting on it, maybe alongside the feeling that it'd be really great to see live bands and and, and live music is part of the visceral uh, element of the entertainment of, of music and the connection and everything else. There's also a feeling that, you know, turning up at a festival or one of these huge venue gigs, buying an overpriced beer for $10 or whatever and a, and a dog for $25 or whatever it is you you know just and not being able to see the band or hear or hear the sound very much 
maybe just feeling a little bit ripped off. I, I, I don't know. So the, people will reflect on what was bad about the previous experiences now that we're we're into it. And we're, we're going to be a year into this thing before we start to think about even going back to old habits. So we can talk about that later. But that's just a couple of examples. Mm. I mean, in particular with uh, live music and the very big festivals, I know we've also been discussing at Media, or rather Mark's been um, discussing recently, just sort of the loss of the small venue where artists sort of get their their runway for their, their bigger careers. I mean, I guess we can talk about that later as well as to how, how the pandemic has had an impact on that. Mm. So it's a really interesting one that... Um small venues used to be a much more important part of the kind of live tour circuit, didn't they? You know, I remember even when I'm younger, bands like the Smiths would play at university unions, you know, um, I'm seeing pavement when I was at art school. So it was a big American band, you know, that, so, you know, but that had disappeared really, hadn't it? Laterally, they're all big global stadium tours. If they weren't the headlining act, you know, the bands you like were maybe supporting a bigger acting stadium tour. You know, were you ever going to have one of those Sex Pistols gigs in the Lesser Free Trade Hall where that inspired so many other musicians? I mean, you do wonder whether 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 that had kind of stopped a little bit anyway. So I, I certainly think that was broken. Well, you know, for for smaller bands, uh, I I think the part of the audience building for those bands that are, is often underestimated is actually the the live performance. So not really, you know the the smiths or you know the modern equivalent of the 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 smiths or you know the arctic monkeys i guess you know bands that are in in the big league play the big venues and that again that's sort of part of the way the economics of the industry has has driven them to do that so it's very rare for known bands to play small venues it's great when they do i think the flip side of that is that um there's more bands releasing music than ever before and there's more bands coming through the system than ever before. Um, mm. And it's not enough for them to just release a song or release an EP or an album even. Uh, you can't build an audience with that. Uh, there's, there's too much uh, music to compete with for a start. Mm. And you, the audience that you build up over time you you grow that audience through playing live. That is how you put in the hard yards um at the moment they've got nowhere to play and there's no equivalent in the digital digital uh sphere sphere you know there's no um virtual tour circuit in the way there's a real tour circuit but we can come on to that because that again then becomes an opportunity because there's been so many live streaming players have popped up um you know the innovation is amazing but it's still confusing an experience and not it's not yet a a, a fully formed experience for the fact before before we get to that cuz i know we're going to be talking about some of the innovation but if we're thinking back to what's what's been broken um i mean do, do you not think that even 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 those smaller bands this kind of stadium circuit was really sucking a lot of mainstream music a lot of like even up and coming bands into just playing in big metropolitan areas you know, maybe not playing in, um, in, in regional venues as much. Um, I certainly think there seemed to be a trend and, and, a, and a huge portion of the audience that was missing out on even being able to access that live music mm. scene um, in a way that maybe happened in decades yeah. before. Um, and, and even those smaller bands, Keith, I, I agree, you know, that they, they did have a lifeline of being able to play at small venues, but I think they were heading towards 
their their ultimate goal being supporting one of these bigger acts mm-hmm. in one of the bigger venues anyway. The bigger venue was kind of sucking it all up, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I know we're going to talk about local um, mm-hmm. in a minute, but I think that you, you just used the word local. That's really interesting because if you mm-hmm. were outside of the big metropolitan centres, um, yeah, obviously it was much harder for you to see a show. Now it's not because you could, so long as you've got broadband, right? And you buy a ticket, um, you buy a ticketed show online, which is really interesting. But also, I think you know we're going to see a resurgence of things happening locally. I mean, at the moment, I mean, in music, any artist of uh, you know of, a, of of any standing, particularly if you're if you're a known artist, there. Everyone I know is involved in supporting their local venue in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Maybe a venue they haven't played for several years. And the first thing that they're doing is putting on virtual shows in those venues. Um, and the first thing they'll probably do when they can play is play their local venues. Um, they just have to hang on until we can get through this. And obviously, the government's intervention, uh, the UK government, you know, their grants just hit the, the 1,500 venues. They've been waiting for for a few months now they've got the money how are they going to use that money um hmm. that's really really interesting how are they going to use that money just to tide over until they hope things get better or are they going to use it to to do to get involved in some of this innovation in the live music space well let's, yeah. i think we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves but that is a good segue into the next bit so um obviously we've got so we've got some problems that happened before and we're already jumping to some of the solutions to the pandemic as solutions to those problems but let's just look at in between there um there were some underpinning needs for change and then now everything's changed in a very very short period of time so what have some of the behavior shifts just over this period of pandemic lockdown right now we're sort of part sort of lockdown. I think London's going back into heavier lockdown later this week. Um, oh, that's always incredibly confusing. <laughs> yeah, but so so what have you seen as happening? Let's let's just start with, with David on that. I mean there's 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 the obvious things. I mean all of a sudden people are spending a lot more time at home, aren't they? Um, I think people, you know, and, and because of that people are maybe valuing their home life a little bit better. Um, they're trying to make their home, their surrounding a little bit nicer. They're not been traveling and out all the time. Certainly in the summer, as simple as spending more money on garden equipment and toys outside, you know, <laughs> but, but even just maybe a nicer television, you know, making sure, um, you have fast broadband speed, especially those of us who had kids who were being homeschooled at the same time. You suddenly think, actually, I need to get my home life a bit sorted. Maybe I need to make sure I get the faster broadband speed, make my house a bit of a nicer place to be. But I think alongside that, because people weren't traveling for social and cultural reasons, but also for work reasons, which is a whole other area we've not talked about too much, I think a lot of people maybe had a bit more free time. Some people say they didn't, but they maybe had a bit more free time. And suddenly, you know, what do you do in that free time? And I think there's an opportunity for culture there. I certainly read somewhere that you know people were there's a lot more people were buying books and reading you know um Mm. i think people were suddenly realizing you know maybe just taking stock and doing a few of those kind of you know pastimey things hobby things i certainly got into sourdough bread making and a few ridiculous things at the beginning learning complicated guitar tunes but um yeah i think people had more time at home to kind of take stock um, Keith, I don't know what did you what did you find yourself doing at home? You uh, one of the ones queuing up at the DIY shops when they reopened? <laughs> oh yeah, what do you <laughs> think? No, I did do a bit. Uh, I, I mean, I probably felt feel a little guilty that I didn't use the time to 
you know, get back into guitar playing and read more books. Um, you know, but I, I, uh, what I, what I have done, what I have enjoyed about the extra time, um, is, uh, all the things that I've enjoyed, I've, I've enjoyed, I think with a more relaxed, uh, quality to it. Um, you know, and that, that in itself has been hugely valuable. So I think at the point where, again, as I said earlier, you know, if we, if we think about going into the second lockdown phase, which everybody knows knows is coming, I mean, it's here in, in one shape or other already, then this is going to be a year at least, which it makes you kind of learn. It makes you reflect on your lifestyle, change your lifestyle, obviously, because you're forced yeah. to do that. Uh, but also reflect on your previous lifestyle. And there are things that I know I won't go back to. I won't waste time traveling to the gym and working out in the gym as much as I occasionally enjoyed it. It took up too much time. I realize that now. Um, I'll probably work from home more even when the, the office life is, is resumed. And I think everybody's feeling that way. Um, so that's really interesting. Just want to add on the, on the question. The, the corporates, well, not the corporate, but the work-life yeah. side of it, particularly in the cultural sector. So, again, if you take music, so I think for the first three, four months of lockdown, you know, major labels were just spending a lot of time readjusting to working from home yeah. um, because they were office-based cultures. On the tech side, you know, the, the Spotify's, the Apple Music's, and so on, they probably adjusted far quicker because they were just used to remote working a, a lot more. Yeah. Um, but I think what's been really good for uh, anyone working in the marketing side of music, so that would be labels, basically, is they've become very digital first. So they, you, you, they've had to figure out, okay, how do we release this piece of music? Because you, you can't defer it forever. You know, they deferred it for a while. We've got to get, get yeah. releasing this music. They figured out how to do that in a completely virtual environment, in which case, you know, all of the digital uh, levers have become far more important and they've been able to rally around that. What's really interesting, the longer this goes on, is the cultural impact on the business of how they do business will be impacted. So, for example, how do you sign an artist uh, digitally? Like, literally, if you haven't met them, I mean, you know, labels sign hundreds of artists every year. Sometimes they sign artists really, really quickly based on what they hear and what they see yeah. and who they meet. Uh, and that bit is is obviously missing. So that's going to be really, really interesting. And then, of course, how do you make your next record uh, entirely virtually? So we did see lots of artists yeah. finishing records that they'd been working on. Uh, they finished them during the lockdown, so they got them you know, um, mixed, engineered, and 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 finished, and got them out. Um, sometimes with a sort of uh, a compromise on quality. Um, but how are they going to make a record from start to finish virtually? So we're going to see huge amounts more collaboration, collaborative tools, creator tools. It's already becoming a really, really big industry. And what you said earlier about learning your guitar chords, um, yeah. you know, and in, in, in terms of the winners of um, of the situation in terms of cultural businesses. Anybody who makes gear, I mean, they're all doing exceptionally well, you know? Great, People yeah. are learning, they're going back, they're relearning, they're making music, they may even decide to release music. And I find it extraordinary that, you know, Fender uh, guitars had their best year 
so far in 2020. Wow. And, you know, they've been around for, I don't know, whatever it is. But will it, it'll be interesting thinking about which which instruments are going to do well out of it and which aren't, because I certainly know a few people who, who work in orchestras and they're, they're, um, they're giving up their careers in huge droves at the moment just because they can't see an end to a time where they're going to be able to kind of sit in an orchestra pit and play their you know their wind instruments whereas maybe maybe there's going to be a shift in the type of instruments that young kids are picking up and playing i know like people aren't allowed to sing as much as they did before who knows what will happen there but that's certainly been a big 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 change i mean i i'm i personally think i'm quite excited about the fact that people have are not touring and they're maybe writing music again or recording music again i mean i think we're past that initial phase where you couldn't see anybody the complete lockdown and I think the situation now is that people are maybe in bubbles. So you, you are able to kind of record still maybe in smaller studios, aren't you? Um, I've I certainly heard big bands like Radiohead, maybe Paul McCartney that were planning big global tours next year are going back into the studio to write music instead. And, you know, yeah. a little part of me's got to think, that's got to be a good thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, I think it's got, it is, it is. Creators have had more time to create. So I think yeah. the challenge for them has been, um, can they create the environment that they that they need um is their mindset um in the right place to create because you know sometimes the whole lockdown situation affected people differently right people were some people were really thriving in it and others were just losing concentration couldn't quite um you know land on on ideas that 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 being said in our our latest artist survey i think we saw that um we interviewed these independent artists and over 70 percent of them i think were producing or making and writing more music over this lockdown because they had obviously the labels had trouble because you can't bring in a whole team to like do the recording and have the whole band there but if you're just you know a casual artist and who's you've got all your equipment in your living room and suddenly you have you know all day, every day in your living room with your your instruments and you can just yeah. self-produce, self-create. And so we've seen obviously big, bigger artists being unable to make music, but a lot of the smaller artists have just mm. been producing, producing, producing. Yeah. And maybe it's, I mean, historically a lot of bands did kind of disappear off to a country house in Wales or Led Zeppelin or Rolling Stone down at Headley Down or something. There was a, there was a, there is a, I guess a legacy of artists disappearing into houses to record their great masterpieces anyway. So maybe there's no great change there, but there's something interesting else. I guess another shift is that if it is just like one or two people in a house, instead of like a whole band and the whole support structure, maybe the type of music that's going to be produced um, is going to change a little bit. I was listening to the new Sufjan Stevens album last week, which I love. And it's really just him and a synthesizer. You know, maybe you're going to see more music than that instead of like full bands and orchestral backing tracks um electronic maybe that music is, yeah electronic music is is just going to have it's just going to have another another yeah 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 um i mean this 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 loops back into the whole people are reading a lot more books but i've also you know to shift into another industry apparently they say a lot more people are writing books now as well those people that were spending so long on the on the hamster wheel going in and out of work and thinking one day i'll write a novel or suddenly thinking well why don't I just write it now? They've suddenly been given <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> Not much else to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I fully expect a renaissance in books, some great novels to be released next summer. I'm looking forward to it. It may, it may become the kind of recommendation, right? So you, if you start to mention to your friends, you're just a little bit bored, don't know what to do with your free time. So you thought about writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, who's who's going to read them is the, the question, you know? Um <laughs> 
Well, so we've, we've chatted a bit about um, some of the business side adaptations, but um, how, have, how have people been adapting? I know, uh, David, you were bringing up localization before, so just in terms of consumption. Um, yeah. Yeah, so what, what do you think about that? I mean, that's, I mean I, I, as you introduced there, I work in a number of different industries with my um, day job at O Street. We, we work with, with music, but you know, one of the other industries we work in is the drinks industry. And I've I heard an anecdotal stories of of big global drinks brands that um, for the first time ever, when they're introducing new products, there's a lot more pressure to kind of have a local angle. You know, retailers and distributors are looking at these global brands that used to have no problem getting in the shops and saying, actually, our our buyers are now actually it's not just a nice to have that there's maybe a local angle in the products they're buying, but they actually kind of realise how important their local community is, local businesses. And a lot of those big global brands, drinks brands, are struggling. So they're having to kind of really backtrack a little bit and try and make inroads into local cultural, I guess, touch points in the brands that they're releasing in certain areas. Um, I mean, we didn't talk about this so much at the beginning, but um, I think one of the behavioral changes that happened is suddenly people spent a lot more time in their neighborhoods meeting neighbors they maybe mm. never spoke to before, you know, so they're valuing this kind of place around them instead of it's just something in their home being somewhere they slept at night, travel to and from work from, it's actually somewhere where they're living and that local area around them is really important. So um, it, it's already having an impact on, 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 as I said, brands, drinks, brands and food brands, I think. And maybe there's a similar thing with, with other kind of cultural industries as well do you think there's a there, there's a there's a parallel with music or other other forms of culture keith do you think you know that kind of supporting local artists might be something people might get more behind yeah for sure i, I think there's going to be some really fascinating things happening with local businesses cultural or otherwise and then local communities i mean already if you'd if you were a local business i mean let's say no back to cinemas mm-hmm. um you know, something like the Everyman has kind of got that local feel to it. It's it's a national national chain actually, but it's a small independent chain. Um, but it feels like they those smaller cinema venues are part of the community. So you've got the capital with the community. So yeah, they're going to help you get through it. They're going to keep um, you know giving you the custom and and patronage and so on. And so if you'd been a local business, mm-hmm. um, this is this is your chance to kind of draw on that goodwill. I think that's, that's yeah. going to be really interesting. I mean, and big brands, I mean, one of the things I like about the, um, the impact on the, the kind of shock impact in a, in a way um, on business is that it's a kind of the pandemic has blasted the buzzwords away, you know, it's a sandblasted buzzwords like disruption because it, it's the yeah. great disruptor. So now all you can do yeah. is respond well. And brands were talking about hyper local before and probably paying lip service to it. And yeah. what they were doing, I don't know. But now local is essential. Uh, and they have to. Opportunities right. have come with that. I mean, you know, even if you, um, the other thing that is, is interesting is, you know, all of those sort of empty um, chain shops, as, as a few businesses, retail businesses closed down, you know, can we make more of that space to bring in things mm. like local? Uh, private members clubs or um, community hubs again around culture entertainment where you can bring those local artists or craftspeople in it's going to be yeah. lots of that happening in the next 12 to 18 months which i think is is a good thing we're thinking our studio we've got great studio space in glasgow 
and where, where our headquarters is and a few people will go back at some point I'm sure but you know a lot of people will, will, will be working from home and and what can we use that space for and I was thinking just the other day maybe a gallery or some sort of cultural space you know so that kind mm-hmm. of you know there is good opportunities one one area when we're talking about local that we, we shouldn't forget which is in in real flux at the moment is is sport and sporting events um I had another friend of mine in Glasgow um has a season ticket for um for one of the big football clubs there, I won't say which to bias the audience here, but one of the big two teams in Glasgow, and he's obviously not been able to go. So he's 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 started going to see a local football team, Pollock FC, on the south side of Glasgow, and he's allowed to take his dog. He goes along, there's maybe like 200 of them, and he loves it. Um, suddenly, you know, I wonder whether um, that kind of big money, high ticket price season to see these, you know, to drive, 200 miles to go and see Arsenal play, you know, or something like that is going to change for people supporting their local teams more. I mean, the sad fact is I think a lot, certainly in football, a lot of those smaller clubs are going to be the first ones to fold and suffer now. But in the long run, you do wonder whether kind of local sport and smaller sport is maybe going to get a bigger fan base. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's going to be really interesting. We have, so one of the other episodes of this is, is uh, with Alistair and Carol talking about sports and, Alistair's got some views on that. And I think, yeah, it, it's there's lots of changes that go go on underneath the surface. I think that's that's the interesting thing, right? So I think for everyone, as you say, that's reevaluating, hey, why was I spending my entire day, you know, um, one day a week and a lot of my money um, uh, it, it going to see, you know, a, a big club? when I've got yeah. that time back and I've done some interesting things with it. The irony is, yeah, I mean, uh, will those local um, stadiums and local clubs be able to, you know, somehow carry their way through it? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've got, it's, it's all a matter of necessity, right? As people can't leave their immediate local bubbles, they start getting ties to them and they start, you know, engaging more locally. Um, but this sort of brings us on to the last question. So we're already starting to ask, you know, what what comes next? What sticks around? How long does the pandemic last? And then how many of the behaviors, uh, like, do people keep just going local or do they rebound and say, oh, my gosh, I can go back to a big festival? Um, our latest survey um, isn't exactly so positive. So we asked how many would how they would change their behavior after uh, social distancing measures end. Um, 43% of people responded that they would actually go to bars and pubs less and 38% said that they would uh, go to fewer live music events. So it's kind of, you know, we're not sure is this, are these predictions made in cautious times or people are a little worried about it or are people's behaviors really changing? You know, will they prefer to just go see a local football match or just watch a live stream of their favorite artist online? Yeah. Um, I think we all... We all knew the music thing, for example, was going to see your favorite artists at a stadium that you couldn't even see them on stage. You're really, in essence, either watching them on the big screen that's next to the stage or on your mobile phone or something anyway, and was kind of broken. But we were all maybe frightened or didn't see the appeal in online streaming gigs necessarily. But certainly I know that this is a, a mutual friend of ours. Keith has set up that business Drift um, that, that are doing ticketed online streamed gigs and um, I guess the pandemic forced me to sit down and watch a few gigs like the Nick Cave one and the Laura mm-hmm. Marling one. I might not have done before. I was like, no, nah, I'll just wait and go and see them live. Mm. You know something? I, 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 I actually really liked them. It surprised me how cool that experience could be 
you know, mm. the way that um, the cinematographer, certainly in the Nick Cave one and the Biffy Clyro one, which was in mm. Barnlands, actually made the venue really special. It, made, it was almost like a new artistic genre. It wasn't a music video. It wasn't a conventional live gig anymore because, you know, they had the freedom to move the camera angles anywhere where the audience used to be, you know. I I personally think that, you know, the, the people that have dipped their toes into online stream gigs, for example, during the pandemic, thinking that's a necessity, are actually maybe going to think twice next time when they're like, when this is all over, will I spend £200 to buy a ticket and travel into London to see the gig? Or will I just spend like a tenner, get a takeaway and sit in my house and watch it in this more interesting... Mm -hmm. I think some of those streamed live gig kind of, you know, that's almost a new industry, which I think will, will sustain and carry on afterwards. I agree. I mean, I think there are a lot of factors at play here. You know, the longer it goes on, the more people have a certain, um, I guess, they're what we call caution fatigue, right? They, they just want to burst out of the situation and, and they'll be desperate to, to get to a festival. Others won't be so. And I think there'll be, there'll be a difference demographically. You know, mm-hmm. I, th- I think young people want to get out to festivals for different reasons than to see the music actually i mean it's part of it yes but i mean the other reason you attend large shows and festivals is for the kind of community the party element the rites of passage element of going to reading these things that will carry on um i think maybe yeah maybe less yeah less trusty old men like us standing at the back because if you're presented with the option oh kind of you know shall i spend three or four hundred quid and and risk it weather wise and 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 upheaval wise and everything else and have to get a posse together or mm-hmm. um hmm, shall i actually see this band my favorite band in the comfort my own living room with great sound quality and actually some of these shows as you say that they're new kinds of productions which is really entertaining yeah. and there's an intimacy to them as well and and we've only just got started and yeah. i think live streaming is going to be able to put on productions that otherwise you know you have this phrase that would never work live i mean now anything is up for grabs in terms of what you produce live so i think the traditional side of it is going to come back but in a different form because it's going to have have had so many changes um the size of these productions the scale of them the price of them the experience you get when you're there how you know how far you will have to travel to get there whether that whether the uh the the building or the theater or the field has been repurposed for something else um and and there are some big cultural questions looming um as this goes on i mean you know earlier on this year i I, there was a, a statement by um the Evius family family about Glastonbury about, you know, they could not survive one more year of cancellation. Um, You've got huge institutions like the Royal Albert Hall in London didn't get any of the government money yet. Um, You know, these are going to have huge impacts on our culture and entertainment. The the really interesting one I saw was the, the, the Royal Opera House considering selling that David Hockney painting. Um, yeah. And, and David Hockney not being happy about it, but you know, there's that's a real that's a real tricky one, isn't it? I mean, I don't. Yeah, like yeah, it, it's, it's a real tricky one. Which it comes selling the family jewels. Yeah, yeah, but you know, save, save another yeah. cultural gem though to save another family jewel. It's a real hard one that. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a sort of trade-off of of you know cultural product in a way, which is interesting. I think it's, it depends on the attitude of the leadership. So some of the CEOs and the boards of these institutions have taken the view, okay, we just need to get through this. I need to keep as many of my employees um, paid and employed as I can until we can get back to where we were before. I think one of the intriguing things is the alternative strategy is um, to say is to really to bite the bullet um, and to say, look, this is uh, this is going to go on f- forever. We need to continue, but in a different form. Yeah. So, what are the different forms in which we can continue? Do we repurpose this facility we have to be a hybrid? Um, physical and digital space do we invite in all of the um the vast quantities of artists making um digital productions and and new companies like drift to come in and work with us as Mm. as a venue or as a a, as a cultural organization they're going to have to start thinking more like that yeah the longer this goes on than Let's just hang on until things come back because it's just the longer it goes on, you everybody knows it's not going to go back to what it was for a variety of gonna, reasons. Is it going to be a bit like those wildfires that you, you hear about in the great, you know, in the Californian redwood forests that destroy most of the undergrowth that actually help sustain the kind of bigger trees? You know, is this a great purge? So are all the mediocre and crap venues going to kind of disappear, you know, and, and we're going to be left with the great ones. I mean, this is a question, but you know, what are you sacrificing? It's really, it's really, it's, 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 um, it's a real crisis. Um, Mm. but you know, maybe, maybe the, the people with real artistic integrity, real desire doing these for the right reasons, not necessarily always just the commercial reasons, maybe they will sustain, you know, you'd like to think that anyway, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, it's a, the question moving forward. And unfortunately, we are running short on time, but I think that's a good note to end on. And I suppose if we're being realistic, the big artists, you know, the the Beatles didn't start in a massive venue getting signed. They started playing in Hamburg every day, like all the time, you know, and art doesn't come from up top. It comes from down low and comes up. So maybe this will be the trial by fire and we'll get some really great stuff coming at it over the next couple of years. One of the great quotes I remember from, uh, I think actually was the head of publicists at the time, was that innovation comes from the gutter. And I, 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 I reflected on that for a while because it's obviously quite a dirty statement in many ways. But yeah, yeah I think the... I think the metaphor is is a good one, and, and unfortunately, you know, some of the collateral damage is is huge, uh, and um, and you know, the, some of the artists and and creators that do have the potential to become great, so going to be rethinking, you know, what do I do next if I don't if I if I can't create? But I, I think at the same time, what we've talked about is you know focus on the response then you know it's that, that whole thing about resilience right it's the, the the way you sort of pick yourself up and shake yourself off and 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 get on with things is do that and think differently about how you create your art and get it out there and i think we're going to see much more growth and innovation in in a lot of these sectors that we've talked about which is in some ways it's really exciting and inspiring I hope so hoping so well, thank you guys both for a um, great conversation. And um, 
Tune in to the next episode. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> See you soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. Be sure to keep up with all the latest episodes by subscribing to Media Research on your favorite podcast platform.